biggest games. The biggest events. The The biggest stories. This is what you signed up for, Seth. I thought it was just in the game. Welcome to the ESPN Esports Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Esports Podcast. We have Jacob here on the phone today because he's currently traveling to LA. Uh, it's a crazy week of esports. We have the Overwatch League preseason launch, League of Legends All-Stars, the Capcom Cup. Uh, we also have Emily calling in today from beautiful, sunny Los Angeles. Emily, how are you today? Um, I'm well. There's In my apartment, there's a film of ash on everything because of the wildfires that are going on. So oh my God, I'm everyone's so okay. Oh yeah. yeah, you don't have to apologize to me, but like I hope I just hope everyone's all right up in Ventura because apparently it's it's really bad. So. Did it start today? Uh, apparently last night, one of my friends thought he would have to evacuate with his family, but then they ended up not having to. So he's kind of my point of contact oh, for I what's see. going up. Well, I hope everything's but, okay. Yeah, me too. Yeah. All right, um, Jacob, you still there, or are you? Still in limbo. Yes, I'm here. Can you, oh, can you hear me? He's back. Ah, that's so much better. Welcome. Jacob, how are you today? I'm doing okay. I'm sitting on the train trying to get to John F. Kennedy Airport. Wonderful New York, but I'm doing all right. Uh, for those who didn't catch that, uh, Jacob's a little, um, you're breaking up a little, but he's on his way to JFK to catch a, is it a red eye to Los Angeles tonight? It is not a red eye. I get in at like 9 p.m., Pacific. Ah, uh, okay. Well, thank God. Those are really rough flights. But anyway, let's yeah, dive into the podcast away. today because we have so much to cover. So while we usually talk about the emergence of NBA investors in North American League of Legends, Emily brought up an excellent point last week during our podcast about the disappearance of South Korean sponsors in Korean League of Legends. Most recently, the example that probably comes to mind is Samsung Galaxy, the team that just won the World Championship. And for those who need context, Samsung bowed out of League Champions Korea, and the team has been picked up by KSV Esports, Kevin Chu's esports team. They also own Seoul Dynasty and Overwatch. And Samsung rakes in $177 billion in revenue and $16.5 billion in profit. I mean, this is like a huge corporation, so the move was pretty unprecedented. And it seems like no one is really safe. And even if you're the best team in the world, even if you have one of the biggest sponsors in the world, that doesn't equate to a security net. And I want to start out with a broader question. What effect do you think this move has on the esports ecosystem in South Korea? And let's kick off with Emily first. Okay, so I went back and went through all of the sponsors from... 2014 all the way up to recently, because this actually isn't a new trend. We've seen foreign investment in South Korean League of Legends uh, kind of snowball over the past few years. And the reason is because of the dissolution of sister teams. Um, So in 2014, there were still sister teams allowed and the top five large companies in um, OGN champions were CJ Entis, which is the CJ group, SK Telecom T1, which is the SK group, Samsung Galaxy, as we mentioned, which is the Samsung group. They're actually the largest uh, tribal, which is like a business conglomerate in Korea. Uh, KT Rolster, which is the KT Corporation, 
and actually Jenner, which not a lot of people think of Jenner as a major sponsor, but they're actually the Hanjin Group, which is a shipping company, if you've never heard of them. Then we also had Najin, which is Najin Industries, which is slightly less revenue there. Um, and then the last three, we get into Big File Miracle, which is a, a file sharing website uh, called Big File. MKZ, which was a uh, an assortment of uh, former Incredible Miracle players that kind of banded together and made their own team. Um, and then there was Incredible Miracle before they acquired sponsorship from Longju. Um, and then in 2015, you saw more, uh, with the dissolution of sister teams, you saw more Chinese sponsorship trying to enter the market with Incredible Miracle getting picked up by Longju. Um, a lot of people are familiar with kind of the Tigers sponsorship struggles because they kept getting picked up by um, different streaming companies that were trying to break into South Korea uh, tip, namely Huya, which was which is also YY, it's a Chinese company. Uh, and then 2016, Najin pulls out, Suning starts sponsoring Longzu, and this was supposed to be a huge thing. And apparently, according to an Invent article about it, part of the reason why there was such a problem with getting money to Longju players. If people remember, this is like actually a huge deal, right? Because players came out and said, actually, we're not getting paid. And um, it was it was really bad. The sad uh, and Chinese-Korean political relations is actually part of the reason, apparently, why they couldn't get money um, over to the South Korean side, according to invent sources. Wait, what do you um, mean by that? And then, so basically, the political situation between China and Korea was cited as one of the reasons why some of the Chinese sponsorship wasn't working out as well as they had hoped. Okay, interesting. Yeah, so um, so basically, this isn't like Samsung pulling out isn't necessarily a shock. Um, according to another article, Samsung had actually wanted to pull out for years. At the end of 2014, when sister teams were disbanded, it came out after they lost all of their uh, 10 players off of two rosters that they had not been paying them <laughs> very well and they hadn't actually budgeted a lot of money towards esports. And according to another report that came out recently um, from Chosun that was posted on Neighbor, basically a lot of the there was a discrepancy between how much Samsung makes as a company because they're absolutely huge and how much they were willing to invest not only in esports but also in traditional sports. Right. So okay. apparently, yeah, not only were they not really sinking a lot of money into esports, they also had um, cut their budget for a few traditional sports teams. The article mentions volleyball and women's basketball. Um, and, but esports was kind of like the thing that they'd wanted to pull out of since earlier. And the person who apparently convinced them to stay, according to this article, was the former KESPA chairman, June, who is 
now uh, yeah. uh, still okay. under investigation, and they're still trying to figure out how deep that rabbit hole goes. But right, okay. basically that's a general overview of sponsorship in Korea. Right, so to quickly summarize, so this has always been something that's part of the ecosystem in esports. As someone who has spoken to Kevin Chu, who now owns Samsung Galaxy, uh, alongside his move in Overwatch, he thinks that this will make KSV compete on a global level in esports. And I had a lot of good insight actually talking to him. When KSV was actually evaluate, evaluating the esports landscape in South Korea, they found that very few teams in the LCK were actually profitable. And the ones that were profitable, it was because their expenses were so low Teams put such a focus on winning first and not content production or marketing their team to an audience. So they'll set up the bare necessities, like a team, a manager, and then a coach. And when KSV was in negotiations with Samsung, it was it actually wasn't an easy deal. I thought it was the kind of deal that would have taken maybe one or two weeks, but they they talked to them for months. And it was it was the result of months of negotiating that actually set up the deal. Um but yeah, I, I think the Samsung roster has a lot to a lot to look forward to since KSV is making it their priority to market their team. And fun fact, they actually hired someone who used to work at SM Entertainment. Um, Emily, I know that's probably something that interests you, Emily, as a Red Velvet fan. Do you think it'll make Samsung, I guess, a more marketable brand now that KSV is stepping in? I think it will be interesting because on the whole, when um, he comes out and says that during their preliminary investigation, um, there were few teams in the LCK that were are profitable. That actually doesn't surprise me at all. Um, and I think it's, it's one of the reasons why in the beginning, sister teams worked really well for Korea because you had the major corporations sponsoring two teams, right? Because the the operating cost of a team, there's a lot more, even if you're running it at like the absolute like minimum capacity, right? It's still a lot of money that you need to invest in um, just housing and food and, you know, basic necessities, computers, internet, stuff like that. Um, I think it will be really interesting because we are seeing from a few different teams, uh, they, they're trying to market themselves a bit more, either through stuff on YouTube, through like, and this is something that I know you and I talk about K-pop a lot, but um, <laughs> something that K-pop idols do where they'll do like a live vlog of here are the MVP guys going to eat Korean barbecue and here's their new pet pig that they're streaming with today. And, you know, here are the barbecue Oliver's players going out to eat chicken. Um, So you see a lot of that kind of content coming from not even the top teams, but like some of the the lower teams doing like small vlogs and um, not from the VLive app, but what you'd consider just like a live stream of them doing random stuff. Um, So I'm curious to see if that kind of entertainment marketing further enters the scene. Yeah, I, um, I think it's interesting because I mean K-pop is K-pop is its own beast, isn't it? It's it's the kind of industry that really it promotes fan service and they know how to appeal to fans in a way that makes you feel like you're part of this fantasy world in a way. So I wonder what this SM guy is going to bring to the table. Um, oh for those who don't have a reference point, 
There are three big entertainment companies in South Korea. It's YG, SM, and JYP. And SM is generally known for being the most, would you say the most polished of the three with a heavy focus on execution and visuals? I'd say they're the most, they're kind of known as the largest in terms of uh, business. But like, so on the business side of things, I feel like they are, usually people place them slightly above the other two. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, and that's why I'm wondering, like, so another good example of this is what Kongdu uh, have done with their, not only their League of Legends team, who recently did a fan, I believe it was a fan meet, and they practiced a K-pop dance to do in front of like their fans during this <laughs> fan meeting. Um, what K-pop dance was it? On, I forget. Uh, they put it on Twitter though. It was really funny. Um, but they also did the same thing with their Overwatch teams where they're really trying to combine that kind of entertainment aspect of marketing with marketing their esports teams. Right. And, I'm um, and again, Kongdu is not like a large corporation. They're they were first and foremost a player player organization. So right, and I I mean I was I, I, this always makes me wonder like are we going to see many more international markets make its way into South Korea? Uh, for example, are we going to see more Chinese investors and American investors make their way there? I know you mentioned Longzhu earlier as one example. But I mean, look at TSM. They're living proof that winning doesn't matter. And it's all about marking yourself in the right way. And I wonder if that kind of I wonder if that kind of mantra will will carry over to South Korea and work at, at the end of the day. So the weird thing about Chinese investment is that for whatever reason, and again, I cited that invent source that said um, a lot of it has to do with like Korea, South Korean and Chinese political um, problems. And I don't know how much of that is true. I'm just, again, going off of that source. But um, one thing that we haven't seen from Chinese investors entering this space is that same kind of marketing focus that you see from a lot of Chinese teams in China. So, like, no other teams have as good of a, like, investing into their marketing as Chinese teams. If you look at some of the stuff that EDG does. If you look at some of the stuff that WE or IG or even Snake do with their teams, um, when we did have Chinese sponsors headed over, like YY, like Longju, and Longju was, again, they had a deal with Suning Commerce, which is just this absolutely massive Chinese company, and they still were not able to get the money over to pay their players and they didn't do a lot of marketing with those players. Um, so I am wondering how KSV will go about approaching marketing this new team in the space and whether they are going to pay more attention to marketing to the South Korean market, basically. Right. And I'm, I always, I mean, we can have a whole other podcast about Chinese teams in League of Legends and what their profit margins are because I, I'm always fascinated by, I mean, I, I really don't know what their profit margins are and yet they're buying these McMansions and making team houses out of them. So, I mean, I, they have to be doing something right unless 
my consp- I mean, my conspiracy theorists can put on their tinfoil hats and say they're being run by a bunch, bunch of underground mobsters. But yeah, I, I mean, I feel like so far what we've seen with Chinese teams entering South Korea and trying to make a dent in the market, they haven't they haven't really been successful in marketing their teams the right way. So and KSV, from what I from what I know, they're really going to put an emphasis on selling the players first. And I wonder if the way they sell it will be more successful to a North American market or to a Korean market. Yeah, and the thing you have to remember, so when comparing, and I know I brought this up on the last podcast, and Jacob made a really good point as well as to why outside investment, if you're not going to do the sister team system, why outside investment might end up being better for Korea in the long run. And that's just because the South Korean market itself is so small when you compare it to something like even North America, but especially China, the discrepancy is not even... It's insurmountable, right? The amount of people that you can market to in China versus South Korea. Um, So I think that's another thing to consider as well, because previously I was really, and I still am kind of wigged out at a lot of the the foreign investment, especially with VC uh, funds, just because eventually you do have to answer to those investors, right? Basically the way... Like the bare bones explanation of the way venture capital things work is that you go to people and you're like, hey, I have this idea. We're going to invest in this and I need you to help uh, contribute to the fund. Right. And eventually those people are expecting some sort of payout um, from something they invest in. So it doesn't have to be the specific esports team. But at some point in time, you know, those people do want some sort of return on investment. So I will say that just as a whole, venture capital money being flooded into everything concerns me a bit, maybe just because I'm old. <laughs> um, but uh, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see. And, you know, to, to Jacob's point last week, South Korea is a very small market and um, it makes sense to if you want a profitable team to try to market it with a larger budget to a, an international audience. And that sounds like, it sounds like that's what KSV really wants to achieve with this new Samsung, with the acquiring the Samsung lineup. Absolutely. Well, we're going to be continuing this in a second, but we're going to go to break right now. If you're bored and have nothing better to do, you can leave us a rating and a review in iTunes and let us know how we're doing. If you like Emily's return to the podcast, you can... Tweet us your thoughts at Emily. Oh, no, at League of Emily, at Rachel Youngu, at ESPN underscore esports. And also, we have an app, not us, ESPN. We have an ESPN app. And if you subscribe to esports in it, we can send you an alert whenever we have a new episode. And we're back with the ESPN esports podcast. We have Jacob with us now on the phone. He unfortunately got cut off before. Jacob, um, let's just get straight into it. The last question I asked you that you sadly got cut off for was, what will the future of the Korean esports ecosystem look like? So I think there's a really important um, connotation to make when it comes to what happened with Samsung. So I said a couple of podcasts ago, the reason that a lot of the South Korean teams, your SK Telecom, your Jin Air, the reason that they didn't invest in the Overwatch League or try to obtain an Overwatch League team 
is because there's no reason for them to try to market internationally. Their products are sold domestically in South Korea only, where I think Samsung is actually the opposite effect. I think Samsung was almost pigeonholing themselves by putting themselves only in LCK. And I think that uh, the last time we kind of saw this issue was Curse. Curse tried to sponsor teams like Team Solo Mid and Cloud9 while having a team in the LCS, and they had to withdraw their affiliation with that team in order to sponsor other products and or sponsor other teams with their products. So I think that's something we might see Samsung do from every indication I've gotten. I think that you could it's feasible to see Samsung sponsoring other teams internationally because Samsung is such a huge empire and has its phones and all sorts of different products that it tries to sell on an international scale, whether that be in Europe or whether that be in North America. And so I think that Samsung was almost limiting itself by being affiliated with a South Korean team because then it would prohibit it from sponsoring teams in other leagues. Right, but that's that's worrying because Samsung just won the world championship. So it makes me feel like winning at the end of the day no longer matters. And that's oh, that's to put it bluntly, it's a worrying trend in esports. Well, I think that it's really important to look at what KSB is trying to do and what Kevin Chow and that group is trying to do. They are the opposite effect of Samsung, right? So Samsung is a massive South Korean company that has a huge international empire for products, whereas KSB is the opposite. KSB is a Silicon Valley-based company that wants to expand their brand in South Korea. They are trying to do the opposite effect, and they're trying to be a big brand in South Korea. Because ultimately, what started their business is an Overwatch League team that's based in South Korea. And you've seen that with their acquisitions of a PUBG team in South Korea. And MVP Black, the heirs of the Storm team, they're trying to... So I I really think, although I, I understand what you're saying about winning, I really think that this is just good for both parties from their own business perspectives. Because it allows KSB to get bigger in South Korea by buying one of the best South Korean teams. And then it allows for Samsung to be able to market itself more internationally. Right. But like me and well, me and Emily just established that South Korea is not a big market. Yeah, but if you're if you have the sole Overwatch League slot, you're going to have to market in South Korea. You don't have much of a choice, right? Like that's where your games are going to be. So and, and that's the big premise of what that company is, what KSV is. That was the first purchase they ever made in esports. So. I understand, I, and I wouldn't necessarily do the same that they are, but I think that if your business is based on being a big brand in South Korea, that's what you've got to live with, and that's what you've got to, you've got to push for, building that brand. Emily, what are your thoughts? Um, the only thing I wanted to say is that uh, in regards to Samsung specifically, I think it would be great if we saw them try to market more internationally, but the report coming out of South Korea, and again, they could be wrong, but um, as I spoke about in the first half of this podcast, which I know Jacob might have missed, um, is that Samsung basically decided that they don't want their the arms of their esports teams to market for them, right? Um, and they cut not only budget for esports over the past few years, but also budgets for traditional sports. So I am curious to see if they then redirect that money towards international advertising. Um, But right now, it doesn't look like that's something that they're doing. 
Okay, so it sounds like Samsung's Samsung's legacy in esports isn't over yet. So, what would be the best region or even the best team for them to mar- um to buy buy up right now? Jacob, you can go first. I think that you automatically have to rule out anyone affiliated with HTC. Uh, so goodbye Cloud9, <laughs> goodbye Liquid, and goodbye TSM. Right. Um, but I could see them sponsoring some of the newer teams. I think that that's not unfeasible, right? Like some of the new NA teams. I could also see them sponsoring some of the larger EU teams, like a Fnatic or a G2, that doesn't have a phone affiliation um, or a phone brand affiliation. So I think that um, I think that sponsoring top League of Legends teams is out of the question. I just I do think it's something that they're going to eventually do. Maybe not in the short term, and maybe that report is correct. Uh, I couldn't tell you, but I I do think that they're not going to leave esports forever. I think they'll be back around, but as an advertiser more so than than a team owner. Okay, then why do you think that they? Why didn't they put a, more of a focus on marketing Samsung to a North American audience? I mean, they just they got all this publicity from winning the world championship. So my logic is, wouldn't you take advantage of that and you know? Get a marketing team that knows what they're doing in America. I mean, sure, but it it's almost easier to sponsor a North American team, right? It eliminates the language barrier of trying to market a South Korean team to an audience that is not up as the normal to daytime when South Korea plays their games. It's almost easier to to just be a sponsor for another team than it is to try to do the uh, do the opposite and take a South Korean team and market them internationally. Right, but I don't think and the language barrier. So. I don't think the language barrier is necessarily something that would hold back anyone from being a fan of Samsung. I mean, just to be blunt, there are subtitles that exist. Uh, I mean, there's a way of storytelling that you could really make them popular here. I agree, but it's still a pretty uphill battle because of things like viewing times as well. Like it, it's just not. It would be much easier for Samsung to pay Cloud9 or pay TSM, pay some of these bigger brands money to be able to advertise on their behalf um, than it would uh, be able to, one, have to pay all the operating costs of keeping a team like that. Then also you're going double down with the marketing cost it would take to make that team popular elsewhere. Okay. Emily, do you really, um, I mean, my only thing is that, so um, I'm still going off of what people have said in Korea where Samsung um, a few years ago, just decided to kind of start cutting budgets towards their esports teams and a few traditional sports teams. Um, so while I think it'd be cool to see them enter a foreign market, I definitely don't see it happening, especially in the short term. Um, I would hope to be proven wrong, I guess, uh, just because they have been kind of such a staple of uh, South Korean esports since they took over the MVP teams in late 2013, but I don't see it happening based on the reports that are coming out in in Korea. Sorry, Jacob, I cut you off earlier. What were you going to say? I was going to say, really, it's it's really difficult, I think, to market some of these South Korean teams internationally, and it's not, uh, you know, I would say even people who know who Faker is, one of the best players in the world, probably the best player in the world still. Um, even he, like, how many people who know a faker actually watches games? I'd love to see that conversion rate, right? Maybe he is very well-known and very well-marketable, but how many people buy a faker shirt or a faker hat, right? What What is that conversion rate? It's really difficult. Oh, um, I think I a lot of people buy faker hats. Well. 
Remember when? Yeah, um, but in compare, but in comparison to the amount of people who know who he is, I would I would still say that product that product conversion rate is pretty tiny. Okay, but I feel like you could say that about a lot of players, even in North America. Like people know Bjergsen, are they going to buy a Bjergsen hat or a shirt? If they're a fan of Bjergsen, I would say they're probably more likely. It's also very difficult to get your hands on sacred merchandise as someone who's tried to do it. Right, and I but. Remember last time they were giving, well, Susie was doing the Faker hat promo thing a long time ago, and people went through all sorts of links to get their hands on a Faker hat, and I I think that he is marketable. Like, I don't I don't agree with the assessment that just because it's a South, it's a South Korean team that they're not marketable to the U.S. I think Faker is very marketable. That, that's not, no, that's not what I'm saying at all. Being marketable and converting your marketability into, like, a product sale is two completely different things, right? Like, clearly, Faker has done something right. SK Telecom has done something right with him because he's a very well-known player, right? I don't think anybody would dispute that, but converting that into sales for a Faker product is not the easiest thing. Uh, I see. I I still sort of disagree. I feel like I feel like there were, there are fans out there who would pay money for Faker merchandise. He is probably the most marketable player in League I just, of Legends. I mean... You know what I mean? Yeah, I was gonna yeah. say I don't. I don't think um, Faker is the best. Ex- Faker is the best example because he has like a ton of Chinese fans that buy merchandise. When I went to the LCK finals, he was like marketed separately by SK Telecom, and almost all of his stuff was sold out by the time I got there. And I got there three hours before the game started. So um, that's how like popular he is. I think. Another, I guess, problem with the way Korean teams kind of typically market only domestically is that um, they tend to only have merchandise at the venue itself or and they don't sell as much online. Right, right. Um, yeah. Which is another another huge thing about like the difference between marketing to an international audience and marketing domestically. Um, but one thing, to, so to Jacob's point, I think something that kind of supports his point and people have found it difficult to mark market Korean players is when you look at how North American teams have failed to market some of their Korean players. Um, because I think there are a lot of awesome personalities that didn't necessarily get a really good chance to, you know, showcase that personality to a North American audience once they were imported to a North American team. Okay, so you're talking about players like Someday and who else? Who, who else am I missing from last year's summer splits? Transfer? I would even say people like Ryu, to be perfectly honest. Right. I think Ryu got a lot easier to market when he joined HUK. What do you mean by that? I think it was easier to, for someone like H2K. And Europe actually just has this problem because of languages as well, right? And uh, Romain BGR just talked about this in an interview with Travis, I think, two days ago. He was talking about languages and how hard it is to market in esports because of the language differences in Europe. And that's, you know, that's one continent. Um, but I think generally, like, someone like Ryu got a lot easier because he's, he's working with a team that understands, um, he's working with a team that understands Western audience engagement understand social media platforms that aren't as prevalent in South Korea, like Twitter, and they understand how to use that better, right? Like, HUK has a mar- had a marketing firm, and I would say 
Yeah, I, I would agree with Emily. I think some of the players that have moved over to the North America have become easy, easier to market because of their uh, connection to a North American team. So, Okay, I, I think that's a fair point. I don't really have a counter-argument to that, but yeah. Um, let's move on to our final topic really quick. Another culprit that we haven't really mentioned so far is PUBG. And what I mean by this is that it, it isn't necessarily really about marketing or running a business. It's the, it's about the fact that League of Legends maybe has seen its time as an eSport and maybe it's time to move on to the next game. Uh, and hey, it might, not even be, it might not even be PUBG. It might just mean that it's League of Legends' time to move on. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts on PUBG taking over and sort of affecting the League of Legends ecosystem in South Korea so far? I think PUBG is a little bit flavor of the month, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, I love the game, too. I play way too much of it. But I generally think that the game, um, I don't think the game is going to replace League of Legends. That's what everyone thought with Overwatch, too. When Overwatch first came out and was flavor of the month, uh, it had huge numbers on a PC bong compared to League. Like, just smashed League in a PC bong uh, player base, right? Like, there was, I think it was something like 40-something percent were playing Overwatch more than League. And then there were the other games that kind of were just there. Um, so I don't think PUBG is going to take away the thunder from League. But the argument you're making is actually what people got people to buy into the Overwatch League. Right, like maybe yes. League is dying, right? Like right. That's, that's what Blizzard told multiple owners was maybe League is dying. League is dying and this is the next big thing, so buy into this. Um, so that argument's not new. It's uh, definitely... Something I think will continue to come up every time there's a game that explodes. Everybody will go, oh, League is dying. Um, I don't necessarily agree with that. Like, I think Worlds did fine this year. Uh, I'm excited to see what kind of the kind of numbers and, and revenues that NALCS brings in next year. They have the largest streaming deal in all or OTT deal in all of esports. That BamTech deal is enormous in, in, when you really think about it. Um, and I would say that BamTech deal is kind of undervalued for what League of Legends is because that deal was sold on terms that were done two years ago. So I think that generally League of Legends is not really going anywhere. Maybe it gets a little bit smaller, but I don't think uh, – I wouldn't call PUBG the League of Legends killer. Okay, yeah, no, I think that's fair. I just brought it up because, I mean, it is a very popular game in PC bongs, and a lot of that – a lot of the time it transfers over to the competitive landscape of esports. One thing that I think is interesting, um, just so regarding PUBG specifically, and this, I guess, is something that I keep in mind because, again, I follow how uh, South Korean endemic business versus international investment is happening, like in South Korean esports. I think what is interesting is that you have uh, OnGameNet, who is a subsidiary of CJ, uh, the CG group, um, you have them who started the Champions Tournament, and then they also started the Apex Tournament, and uh, now they're trying to move into PUBG. And I think it's very interesting because in both Overwatch and League of Legends, someone else has moved in to take over the broadcast, which has been the game developer itself. So Riot um, announced recently, uh, I know Rally covered it for ESPN, where he went to the the press conference and how they're going to build their own uh, esports stadium and they're going to basically bring the entire broadcast under Riot Korea. And similarly with Apex, um, the broadcast, they're still going to have the Apex tournament, but with Overwatch League, 
as this gigantic thing. And with so many Korean players, I'm not just talking about the Seoul dynasty, which is obviously formerly Lunatic High, but you also have the Kongdu team, um, LW Blue, a bunch of Korean players just moving out of Korea that were became very well known from the Apex tournament. I think uh, that's another space where you kind of want to watch PUBG because I feel like companies that are endemic esports companies like OGN probably want to start up something within PUBG because game developers keep coming in and kind of either taking over the broadcast that they started or um, are starting a different, larger competing broadcast. If right. that makes sense. And should we, I mean, should we be concerned that a lot of game developers are reaching their hands into South Korea and sort of cornering the market on what, <laughs> you know, broadcast rights? And I mean, is that something we should worry about that a lot of the endemic broadcasters in South Korea are getting pushed out by game devs? Well, I think you see this with even endemic tournament organizers in the Western world, too. To add to Emily's point, uh, this is PUBG is a game that people don't know. Like, the people who make PUBG Blue Hole Studios have no esports history whatsoever. They are very new to this, right? They, they have no idea what they're doing. And so it benefits them to have someone like OGN on their side because at that point, OGN can run things for them and make things a lot more easier. So I do think that um, it's a good thing for OGN and it's a good thing for Bluehole. It's a mutually beneficial relationship. Right. So, to talk uh, about League really quickly, case, like, they, what are your thoughts on Riot making its way into South Korea? I think it was inevitable. Um, they did it in China. And in, I don't think we saw it when they first did it in China, but I think we see it now. That generally, it, um, generally it was part of this BAM deal, right? Like, they want to be able to put all of these streams into one app. And you can't do that when you have a third-party tournament organizer running your stream. Can when it's your, you run it, though. And so that's, um, I think that that was the plan all along, was for them to be able to make all streams available in this BAM app that's going to be coming out sometime either next year or beginning in 2019. They haven't really put a good timetable on it. Um, but the deal is already activated. So I think that that is, that is part of the wave. I think that a lot of people forget that that deal exists. And that deal is how, um, that deal is how the league is going to start, are going to start making revenue and also contributing revenue back to the teams and revenue sharing, starting with NALCS and LPL. And probably we know it's going to expand to EU LCS. And I wouldn't be surprised if it expands to LCK in the future as well. Like we talked about last episode. So let me turn the question to Emily. Like, are you concerned as a consumer of OGN broadcasts and and Riot broadcasts that they might be pushed out of their own market? It's not might; they uh, will yeah. be. Yeah. I mean, I've been concerned about it since 2015. Um, so it it makes me sad, I guess, because I care about the people behind it, right? So maybe my reasoning isn't exactly business motivated as much as it is like I saw how they came up and how they really created something special within the South Korean esports space. And now that's being taken away. Um, especially recently that I've started watching the Korean, the actual Korean broadcast. I think it'll be really interesting to see how they end up, uh, how Riot ends up moving in the South Korean space if they don't have names like Caster June, for example, attached to League of Legends, because I'm actually morbidly curious to see if they manage to 
just keep that under OGN and somehow like contract the casters, which it doesn't seem like something Riot would do once they take over the broadcast, or if they're going to try to grab those personalities like Caster Jin, like Cloud Templar, who are now just staples voices in Korean esports. I mean, Caster Jin has been around since Brood War days. Everyone knows, like everyone in esports knows who he is. And I, that's the thing that I'm really curious about is who they find on the Korean side to market to South Korea if they don't have the voices of OGN. Right. So I want to give you guys one last chance to make any lasting comments. I know we covered a lot today. Uh, Jacob, why don't you go first? I think generally there's a lot of attachment to the people and to what has happened in esports, particularly in League of Legends, because it's been it's scaled up, right? Like League of Legends started very grassroots and it's now becoming a business. And I understand that it's a lot of shell, uh, shell shock for a lot of people. I, I, under, I have that personal connection as well. And I don't want to be the person uh, that is ever like, oh, well, here comes, here comes the cavalry, here comes business, man up and take it. Um, I think that that's the worst communication strategy, and I don't expect Riot to do that from the PR perspective either. Um, but I do want to say that uh, even though this is, it's hard to take in a lot of this and it's hard to see this disattachment and, and be detached from the personal end of uh, it's important to realize that League of Legends is not profitable in a lot of, in a lot of cases. There are not many teams in, in the world that make money off of it, and that is the common goal uh, here. And I think that if fans want to see League of Legends to continue to exist, in the esports sense that it does, that these are the best moves. And I understand that it's hard to accept those sometimes, but unfortunately it's kind of where we are because uh, everybody wants esports to be profitable because if it's not, people are going to pull out and walk away. And it's going to be a really bad thing. So I think that it's important that even though this is hard to take, it's important that, that people like Riot and the team take steps to make it profitable for everyone. All right, Emily? Um, I think so. I, I actually, as much as I want to have my get off the lawn moment and (laughs) be like, bring back sister teams, make things the way they used to under Korean non-endemic sponsors. I do think that as things in esports shift, this is inevitable. Um, I think that a place that I know people aren't necessarily directing their eyes towards, but a space that I'm definitely watching that I would encourage people to watch is China and how they adapt franchising, and especially because they are trying uh, geo-relocation with a few of their teams. So if you want to see um, Riot and and Tencent kind of testing some of the stuff that might end up uh, making its way to NA, uh, remember that China was the first region that was announced for franchising, and a lot of those teams are already setting up their bases. I think Snake, uh, someone tweeted Snake the other day. It looks uh, typically impressive for a Chinese base. Uh, so I think if you want to see, uh, if, if you want to watch franchising in action, in addition to watching NA, I'd try to focus on China a bit as well, especially since they are testing out that geo-relocation thing, which is a whole other business aspect, right? Because you're marketing towards a specific area and place. Uh, It's very similar to how the Overwatch League kind of wants to operate, where they want to attach a brand name to a specific uh, geographical location. 
Uh, nice. I, I well, China is its own beast, and I feel like we could make a whole podcast yeah. about how. Oh, you totally could. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, if you want us to, you can just tweet us your thoughts at Rachel Youngu or at League of Emily. That's all the time we have for the podcast today. Thank you, Emily and Jacob, for joining me. For more esports content, you you can check out ESPN.com slash esports. Or you can follow us. I already named me and Emily's Twitter handle, but you can follow Jacob at Jacob N. Wolf. See you guys next week. Thanks for listening to the ESPN Esports Podcast.